0: Hi, my name is Malcolm Duncan and I want to thank you for stopping by the Thin Places podcast. Whether you're exploring faith or seeking to deepen your faith, my prayer is that as you listen, it will be a blessing to you. Please make sure that you click or subscribe to the podcast to be kept up to speed with all the latest episodes. I'd love you to take a look at some of my other resources that are available on the internet too. You can go to my Facebook page which is facebook.com forward slash Rev Malcolm Duncan for daily updates and reflections. You can visit my webpage malcolmduncan.co.uk, where you can order books and listen to some other resources and link to my written blog. And lastly you can take a look at my YouTube channel which has some videos of me speaking in various contexts and some biblical exposition as well as some videos of me exploring contemporary topics and issues. Thanks very much for stopping by and I pray that God would richly bless you. This is episode 14 of the Good Grief series entitled God Wins. The Christian story does not remove our grief and loss immediately, but it does transfigure them eternally. Lazarus did not stay dead. Jesus brought him back. John eleven thirty-eight to 44 tells us, then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there's a stench because he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone Jesus said to them, Unbind him, and let him go. The cry of Jesus to his dead friend brought Lazarus out of the tomb physically and out of death in every sense of the word. The stench that the sisters had feared may or may not have been present in the tomb but their brother was lifted out of the place of burial and brought back to the place of life. It took me a few days to return to John 11 after I had finally invited Jesus to share my sorrow. There was a great deal of emotion and memory that needed to be released from my own soul. Eventually, however, I returned to the last section of the story and I was struck by the repeated picture of the stone being removed. Verses 38 and 41, for example. This barrier between death and life had to be removed. Not to let death out, but to let life emerge from the darkness of death. Jesus' cry and the attendant emergence of Lazarus must have been a remarkable sight. I wondered how long it took for the mourners to unbind Lazarus and let him go, as commanded in verse 44. I realised that this unbinding was exactly what we as disciples still need to do with one another. When death, sorrow and pain tie us up. When we are immobilised by their presence and by fear, we unbind one another. The story of Lazarus has been my unbinding. And I pray as we approach the end of this podcast series, Good Grief, that it also proves to be releasing for you. I have lived in this unbinding now for 18 years. I read John 11 at least once a month. Sometimes I read it for hours and hours, looking for more light from it. There are hundreds of other things that I could have shared with you from it, but I fear I would have bored you. I've studied artists' impressions of this moment, from as early as the 6th century to as recent as July 2019, when I met the Northern Irish artist Ross Wilson, who has been working on a series of sculpted heads that tell the story of Lazarus from different perspectives. I've read poems on Lazarus and his resurrection. I've explored the nuances of language around sleeping that are used by John, how Lazarus was brought out of the tomb itself, what the function of the mourners might have been. I've wondered why we never hear from Lazarus about the experience, or, for that matter, Jairus and his daughter, or the widow of Nain and her son. I've explored why Jesus needed to shout to raise Lazarus, why he left the unbinding to the onlookers the nature of Jesus' prayer, the reactions of the authorities recorded in the following verses. This was the moment that signed the death warrant of Jesus in the minds of the leading Pharisees. In a very real sense, Lazarus' resurrection seals Jesus' own fate. All of these and many other things about this incident have drawn my attention over the years, but above all, this passage has brought me life and hope and faith since I've walked through it again and again and again since 2003. This happened most obviously with the death of my brother and the powerful sense of God's promise to me about him from John 11 verse 23. Your brother will rise again. It has happened often though, because the lessons John 11 taught me in 2003 are the lessons... That i continue to learn and i continue to need to learn with each grief i walk through personally and pastorally i've read these words all around the world and to all kinds of people as they've walked through their own sorrow and i've seen them set people pre- free and i pray in some way that by sharing them with you through this podcast series that they'll help in the end The Lazarus story will only help if we can see that it offers to do something with our grief. It clearly doesn't remove it. Otherwise Jesus would have resurrected Lazarus immediately and halted the grieving process for the sisters. It does, however, I think, offer to change it. Not to simply transform it, but to transfigure it. I use the word transfigure very intentionally because... The resurrection of Lazarus sits within the larger picture of resurrection offered by the New Testament. A transfiguration that is only possible through Christ. I have consistently pointed out that God does not remove our grief through this podcast series. He doesn't sweep it under the carpet like dirt that should be hidden. Nor does he work some kind of alchemy on it. Instead, he transfigures it. I've always been fascinated with transfiguration because Christ is central in it. The story of the moment when Christ was transfigured before Peter, James and John is central to our understanding to life and to death and to faith. That is true in the sense that it has a central part to play in our understanding of who Jesus is and how his identity impacts our living and ultimately our dying But it's also true in the sense that the Transfiguration has a central literary place in the Gospels of Mark and Luke and a theologically central place in the Church's understanding of Jesus. Nothing changes inherently about Jesus in the Transfiguration. What changes is the way in which who he has always been is demonstrated or revealed to the disciples and therefore to us. It was the same Jesus who walked up the mountainside with them and back down that they saw transfigured before them when the event took place. In the same way, the Lazarus story can transfigure our understanding of life and death, if we will let it. Nothing changes about life and death for us through the Lazarus story, in the sense that we still have to walk through death somehow. Lazarus himself died again. We do not know how or when. But we do know that the ruling Jewish officials certainly wanted him dead. The reality of Lazarus's resurrection spurred the Jewish authorities on to kill Jesus and perhaps Lazarus, while it also caused some to believe in Jesus. So what will the story do with you? Will it draw you closer or will it drive you away? And what will you let this story do with your grief and with your sorrow? Will it be hardened in your soul because you don't understand why Jesus asks you to go through it? Or will it transfigure your grief and loss as you lay them at the feet of Jesus? It's done the latter for me, but it could have done the former. I had a choice to make about what I did with my own grief journey. So do you. And there are two things that help me to choose to give my sorrow and grief to God rather than to hold on to them tightly. The first was the way in which Jesus deals with Mary, Martha and Lazarus in this story and the way in which he handles death and sorrow. And the second is the Bible's overarching story of hope in the face of despair and life in the face of death. I don't intend to retell the story of Christian hope in detail here but I do want to reflect on it with you and ask you to consider what your choice will be concerning what happens in your own grief journey as a result of listening to this podcast series and perhaps reading my book, Good Grief. I've pointed out already through the series key passages of scripture that I turn to when grief and sorrow force their way into my life again. I invite you to read them for yourself in the same way as I have tried to read John 11 with you, slowly, deliberately, with a listening heart and an open soul. They matter enough for me to tell you again what they are. Psalm 23, with the powerful images of God as your shepherd and the one who walks with you through grief and pain and heartbreak and sorrow. Psalm 34, with the assurance that God is near you when your heart breaks and your world falls apart. Psalm 116, in the beautiful picture of God cherishing us And being present at the death of the saints. John 11, for all of the reasons that I've shared with you. Romans 8, for the powerful hope it presents of the God who cannot and will not be separated from you by anything. 1 Corinthians 15, because of the simple but profound metaphors of life after death, of resurrection, and of utter change that Paul presents to us. And Revelation chapter 21 because of the powerful picture of a new heaven and a new earth where sorrow, shame, pain, suffering and death are they themselves ultimately destroyed. These passages are the backbone of hope and the skeleton of my belief. The resurrection of Lazarus is powerful but the resurrection of Jesus changes everything for everyone. The story of life bursting out of death, of hope bursting out of despair that is recorded at the end of each of the Gospels is the key to how Christians understand life and ultimately death and life after death. They show us in their various ways that death does not have the last word. It doesn't have the last word in our lives. It doesn't have the last word in the world. It doesn't have the last word anywhere. The Christian hope is that death itself Will be defeated, the only way that death could be destroyed was by it being confronted, disarmed, and proven to be the liar that it is. And this, this is what Jesus did. This was his mission and his purpose. When Jesus told Martha, "I am resurrection and life," in verse 25, he was rooting Lazarus's hope and Lazarus's sister's hope in Jesus' own power over life and death. He demonstrates that for them in raising Lazarus. And in that event, he shows us that death is not the end. In Jesus' own resurrection, he begins a process of transfiguring the planet because when Jesus rises, he does so never to die again. This lies at the heart of the proclamation of the gospel and its consequences for us as set out in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 to 8 says, For I handed on to you as of first importance what I I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, the apostle Paul says. And in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 to 5, Paul says, Therefore we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Romans one four says something similar. The Bible is full of verses that promise us deep and profound hope. Romans 8 verses 31 to 39 tell us that God cannot be separated from us by life or death or by anything. Hebrews 2.14 says, since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same thing, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. When Peter writes his general epistle, he says this in verses 3 to 9 of the first chapter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then the powerful and beautiful picture of the new heavens and the new earth. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away and the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. If we take away the resurrection, we take away the very heartbeat of our faith. As Paul argues, without it we are to be pitied more than anyone else. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is an event lodged in time and history that secures our future hope. It is the foundation of our conviction that God wins. It is the turning of the page, the raising of the arms of the conductor and the commencement of our new symphony. Yet it doesn't obliterate our grief, it transfigures it. My journey through grief and pain has utterly changed me. It has changed the way I view the world and the way I understand myself. I see the world differently. The colours of life are deeper and more attractive to me. Music has changed. Friendships have changed. Everything has changed. Would I have chosen this path? Absolutely not. There have been times when I thought I would not make it. There have been days when I wanted to stay in bed, cover myself with the blanket of despair and be locked away. But God has come to me and he has helped me to see a different path. He has walked me down a different road. My friends tell me that one of my mantras is God wins. I believe it to the core of my being. What is the point of this victory in the world and in the universe if I do not let it be a victory in me? Society can transform me. Friendships can transform me. Self-help books can transform my grief. But only God, through Christ, can transfigure my pain and my sorrow. He takes what has been devastating and he does something with it. I have discovered that I cannot lose my grief, but I can use it. One day... Death will be swallowed up in victory and death will lose its sting, according to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 to 58. One day, one day the tears that blur my eyes will be dried. One day, my hands will touch again the people I have lost. One day, my questions will be answered One day the sorrow and despair that still engulfs me sometimes will be lifted. One day every question will be answered. One day the very memories of my loss will be remembered no more. One day my broken heart will be mended. One day I will never have to say I miss you to anyone again. One day my sighing will end. One day... But not yet. I live in that hope. It gets me out of bed in the morning and it keeps me going. And until then I am part of a story that goes back to Jesus and even back before that. Paul spoke of the resurrected Christ appearing to him physically as one untimely born in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 8. He was referring to a physical encounter with Jesus. But when I read Paul's words... I somehow imagine a sentence that continues rather than stops. I don't mean that the physical Jesus appears to lots of people now, although I do believe he can and does appear to some. But in Paul's lists of the appearances of Jesus, I sensed a rhythm. He appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15:5 to 8 And then to those who saw him through you, Paul. Then to a woman called Lydia, the first convert in Europe. And then the people she told. And then, and then, and then, and then to me. My pain goes further back than when my father died. I think I was broken before I knew what broken meant. My life was marked with much beauty. Brothers and a sister that loved me. Parents that provided for me. A mind that was inquisitive, an education second to none. But I grew up broken on the inside. An angry and frightened little boy that sometimes wished he had never been born. I think if I had not had my sister and my mum, I would not have made it. I carry sorrow and brokenness in ways that few people see scars on the inside of me that no one knows at least almost no one my sorrows and my heartbreak in later life link back to those in my early years until the whole journey of sorrow and pain becomes one long line this is the pain and sorrow that i have given to jesus this is the pain that he has transfigured He has taken the deepest parts of my brokenness, the most hidden parts of my shame and sorrow, and he has redeemed them. My life makes sense because of Jesus. My pain has been redeemed, used, transfigured by him. I cannot undo the pain of the past. I cannot wipe it out with a magic cloth. And I cannot pretend that it has not happened So I must choose to do what I can with this journey that I have been on. What will I do with my sorrow and my pain? I will give it to Jesus and trust him with the outcome. And in the end, that is all I can do. But in the end, that is good grief. But before we come to the last episode of this podcast series... I have a question for you, one last part of my story. I have opened my box and let out my grief. I pray it has helped. But the hardest question of all is the one that I have left to the final episode of Good Grief.